ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಪುನಕ್ತು ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವತೀತಮಸ್ತಮಾಶಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿ questions anyone through here a question um this regarding meditation yeah. my mom said that vedanta doesn't promote meditation i just want to know why okay um vedanta doesn't promote meditation she's wrong um meditation is not disallowed it is allowed but at a particular point when you reach a particular point meditation is not promoted in all areas of life in there are many different types of meditation vedanta does not promote meditation in the general use you know like every day to day meditation does have its purpose but only when you've used the free yogas karma bhakti gyana to reduce your desires when you reduce your desires you withdraw from the world yeah mentally you're withdrawing from the world and your goal is to reach self realization your goal is self realization hence you are using the free yogas to reduce your desires human uh, human we are all god as we say yeah what's a pray what what makes us human is our desires yeah. god plus desires equals a human so we to get back to that godhood our original being we need to reduce our desires so we do, we perform the three yogas karma bhakti gyana to reduce our desires this withdraws us from the world mentally and when we withdraw from the world called uparati we are able to concentrate because the desires are not taking us to the world we are able to concentrate when you are ready to concentrate then you do meditation and then it's that last desire for self realization you meditate and then you become self realized so that's where meditation takes place as far as vedanta is concerned now we say meditation is you know abundance in this world right now and people are practicing it i've been on a 10 day vipassana meditation course it may help some people it may not but whatever it does it's temporary because your desires are still there and that's what's causing you the agitations while you're meditating for that hour half an hour 10 minutes whatever you're focusing not on your desires but just on calming your mind so it calms your mind but the effect is temporary as soon as you go out back into the world out of that meditation spot it is a desire that from your mobile phone rings you're back to square one so it's not lasting the meditation there's nothing wrong in doing it but it affects our temporary 
And in Vedanta, the meditation is for a particular purpose. When you reach a particular stage mentally, that's when it tells you to practice meditation. Just because some of the ones I've looked at, their courses, is their Headspace app, mm. which is guided meditation. It's courses which teach you how to meditate and how to use it in your real life and to do it daily, etc. So that you can manage your thoughts. So as you say, during that moment in time you're calming your mind, but after that you have agitations. But this is teaching you to deal with that after it. And then the more you do it, the better you become at controlling your thoughts and calming your mind. So I just wanted to know if it impacts what you learn in Vedanta. No. You can practice it if you want, not a problem. Yeah, if it helps you as a tool to cope with daily life, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Because you're sitting and not thinking of your desires for those 10-15 minutes. So, However, it is helping you in some way. If anything, you're not pro promoting more desires during that time. So there's nothing wrong with doing it. But as far as Vedanta is concerned, your question was, Vedanta doesn't promote meditation. As far as that question is concerned, it doesn't promote it in a daily way. It promotes it at a particular point in your life when you've, when you've offloaded most of your desires and you've only got that one desire left which is I want to be self-realized that's when you meditate and it gets rid of that last desire I'm not going to go into how to meditate but that's where meditation has its place as far as Vedanta is concerned yeah. but as a tool you might listen to nice cla classical music, it helps you relax. It, you know, after you finish listening to it, you have more clarity in thinking, yeah? Your mind is calmer. It's similar effect when you do practice it on a daily basis. It's just a tool. Yeah. Is everyone clear about that? Okay. Any other questions? You know what Drew was saying about um, the, the course that he's thinking of is giving him knowledge and tools so if we're thinking about these classes it's giving us knowledge of the self um, and how to manage ourselves um, could that also be a part of knowledge or is it that it's two different things of knowledge so he's still gaining tools and knowledge of how to become more aware because if he's saying it's helping him to I suppose deal with it's the thinking aspect it aspect. helps you to not overthink so that's tools and mm -hmm. knowledge that you gain so if we're thinking about in Vedanta we're gaining the knowledge to I suppose, learn about how we function, that is an aspect of also learning how you function with your emotions. And it's possible. I mean, I've not done it, so I can't comment on it. But as I said, if it's helping him to deal with things better, then so be it. Um, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying, as far as Vedanta is concerned, this is where meditation fits in. You know, so there are many different types of meditation out there said I've done a 10-day course on Vipassana myself. Um, but the effects have been temporary. It doesn't, the effects last, I mean, I, after a 10-day Vipassana meditation course, after 
I felt great. But after about three or four days, things were back to normal. This is what the point I'm making. But as an everyday tool, 10 minutes of meditation, if it helps you calm your mind for the rest of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, if it helps you, then it's not going to go against anything that you're learning. It's not going to do any detrimental. Yeah, that's all I was basically checking. Yeah, they, they, they won't. But, I mean, as, as from what you've said, that it's fine. But if you get into it too deeply and, you, you, and, and that's all you're doing, then there are effects, negative effects. But I don't feel that you'll be doing that, so it, it, it's fine. Okay, so today's class, just an introduction. I'm going um, to, I'm away for the next two weeks, so I'm going to cram a lot of stuff into class today on the basis that while I'm away, you re-listen to it and understand it, yeah? So I'm going to cram a little bit so that you can listen to it, yeah? Okay. So what is Vedanta? What is Vedanta? Study of the Vedas, perfect. And the Vedas teach you knowledge of? The self. The self, yep, perfect. Also it teaches you the truths of life. What is the truths of life? Anyone? Truths of life? These truths are the question that everyone asks. How to be happy. Bit deeper, who are we? Why are we here? What is my purpose in life? How do I get there? What is this world? How do I become a better human being? How can I be happy? Somewhere down the line, everyone has asked one of those questions. Correct? So what are the answers to that? So if you analyze, these are the fundamental questions that everyone has problems answering. No one can say, yes, I know the answers to all of those questions. And because we're searching and we don't have the answers, we believe or follow a religion in the hope that these questions can be answered. Correct? Anyone disagree with that? Bella? We, is that? we want the answers to those questions, isn't it? That's why we follow a religion. Hopefully they can answer my questions. Fundamentally, that's what it boils down to, Ravi. Correct? So if you learn these truths of life, as written in many books, this one, the one we're studying now, the Gita, Upanishad, that there's no need to follow any religion because the questions are going to be answered. You become free from any bondage to religion. You yourself become your own teacher, your master. This is what we're learning here in this classroom. This is Vedanta. You don't need to belong to any religion to understand those truths of life. 
because that's what the Vedas, the Upanishads, teaches you. And that's what we're studying here. So in spirituality, is everyone clear with that, yeah? In spirituality, there are two schools of thought. All religions, there's two schools of thought. The first one is the philosophy of non-dualism. It's called Advaita in Sanskrit. So, has anyone heard of that? Non-dualism. Yeah. Philosophy of non-dualism. This states that you are God. God is within you. You and God are one. The second school of thought, anyone? What's the second school of thought? Dualism. Absolutely, dualism. Dvaita in Sanskrit. Myself and God are different. If I do this, God will strike me down. Or God will bring chaos in the world. Something bad happens, you blame God. This is dualism. Me and God are separate. So the one we are following here is the first one. You are God. Anything happens to you in, in life, it's nothing to do with God. It's all your cause and effect. This is what we're studying. So this knowledge teaches you to live life based on these truths of life, spiritual laws. Does everyone understand that? Any questions between the two philosophies? You'll find all religions are between those two, dualism and non-dualism. That is the difference. We follow the philosophy of Advaita, non-dualism. Yeah, clarification? Yeah, so I understand about possibly don't accept. So what is it that I have faith in then when, when we say about the laws of life and the, um, I suppose, I've got a real blank here because I don't, there's a higher being that I don't understand and is in I suppose in my eyes, in charge or enabling this cause and effect. So I might put in a, I might sow the seed and water it, but actually I have no uh, power over how it grows and flourishes and stuff. But there's something that is beyond my control, that is looking after everything, that's not me, that's something else. So, what am I believing in then? What, what do you mean, what are you believing in? So that I, there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, I am the self, I've got the self in me. But actually, there's another big part of me that thinks, of course there's a God. Yet the God is within you. Yes, but that that... God that has functioning of everything yeah. in 
that, that is separate from me. See, right now, you believe that because of your ignorance. This knowledge, as you uncover the self within, okay, that belief will be less and less. You, you will believe that you and God are one. Yeah? But at this moment in time, it's because of our ignorance that we believe that we and God are separate. But the philosophy we're studying teaches us that we and God are one. But you're unable to see that at the moment. That's why we're studying this. That's why you feel that how can this power be within me? At a later stage, I will go into detail. The amount of power is within you, but not right now. So you'll have to take my word for it for now, the word that it will be explained later. The amount of power you have within you. But right now, this is the philosophy we're learning, which is myself and God are one. But until you get the knowledge, you will not believe that. And that's why we're studying this. See, if you did, you'd be self-realized. And this is the goal. This is our ignorance. So you put in the effort and the ignorance will reduce. And one day you'll say, yes, I see what you say. See, right now you only think you're the body, mind, intellect. Human equals body, mind, intellect plus self. But right now you only identify with the body, mind, intellect. How many times do you think of the self? Anytime. Never. Right? Because you believe yourself to be the body, mind, and intellect. Until you gain this knowledge, slowly, slowly you will start thinking on the body, mind, intellect, and the self. So until then, this is where we are. But slowly, slowly, we will start thinking of that spirit, that God. So, desires propel our life. And these <coughs> desires are never-ending. Regardless of how much wealth, power you have, they're never-ending, unless you actually actively put effort in reducing them. They will carry on. Bella, you understand? They'll never stop. On your deathbed, you'll still have desires. So desires propel our life, and these desires are never-ending. Doesn't matter how much wealth, power, name, fame you have, would you? Desires will still be there. You'll never be content. So recently in the news, we've had a couple of incidents. A couple of uh, powerful, I'm gonna prove this point right now, Drew. Weinstein and Epstein, you all heard of them? Sunil, can you explain who Weinstein and Epstein are? Weinstein is the director. Who, um, Tell everyone, because I know who they are. Winston is that director who basically um, used his power to basically get women to do things that he wanted and he provided them um, opportunities. Okay. So he was a powerful person, correct? I think he's one of the best-known directors yeah. in Hollywood. And Epstein, he's come out recently in the news. Epstein, I believe, he's... Um, He's a maths teacher, he was, and then I think one of his um, pupils' father got him onto Wall Street, and then 
he basically became a multimillionaire from Wall Street and started his own firm. So in both cases, thank you, Sunil. In both cases, they were both famous, true? Powerful? Wealthy? Influential? Yeah. Mixed with the top elite of people, correct? Had everything they desired, Puja. And what happened? Desires never ended. It took them to a state where they broke the law of the land, law of society. You can't do certain things. But because they had everything, they could do anything, they wanted to do what they couldn't do. It got to that stage. The desires took them there. So can, desires can take you all the way to the top and bring you all the way down again. Epstein has committed suicide. Weinstein, I think, is in prison. So you have to learn how to deal with desires, how to live life, regardless of who or what status you have in the world. Yeah. Is that clear? So desires are never ending. Two examples. Really? Agree? Yeah. Any clarifications there? So we have to learn this in order to, to be able to do that. One day you could be a famous director. <laughs> I'm famous, rich, powerful. I've got to be careful. Where will my desires take me now? <laughs> Isn't it? So the, without, no, without studying this, we wouldn't know what to do. The mind is so powerful. So, we're on, um, what are we? Page, this is a very old book. So on this is page 22, but the topic is Vedanta procures happiness. Everyone tries to find peace and happiness in the external world, but none has found it. They do not realize that happiness, pleasure, pain, joy, is not in the object or beings in the world, but how one relates to the world. Ignorant of this fact, one uses their material layers, body, mind, intellect, to obtain pleasure and joy from the world. But these are fleeting, impermanent. True happiness lies within you. It is found in your own self. Vedanta helps one to look within, past the external material layers that everyone relates to, helps one to dwell deep into one's personality and helps one discover the self within, the place of absolute bliss. So what's this uh, paragraph saying? Saying, so as humans we tend to look externally for our happiness. Anita, you said happiness. Yeah, how to find happiness. You're looking outside in the world for happiness, isn't it? Not within. This is what everyone is doing. They're looking for happiness in the world, rather than inside. Correct? Anyone here believe there's no happiness in the world? Everyone believes it's, it's in the world, correct? You smoke a cigarette, you get pleasure. 
if you don't smoke, you hate the smell, you get displeasure, correct? You're a meat eater. You pass a restaurant, you smell chicken or lamb, your mouth starts watering, pleasure. You're a vegetarian. You pass the same restaurant, you hold your breath, disgusting smell, displeasure. Ravi, you hate Jaguar cars, but love BMW. Your friend loves Jag and hates BMW. He gets pleasure from a Jag. You don't. Pleasure and displeasure. Pain, sorrow. Is it in the object? It's not in the object then, isn't it? Because if it was in the object, you would love six smoking cigarettes because it gives you so much pleasure. You would love Jaguars, not BMW. You'd love both if it was in their car. So do we all agree that it's not in the object? Ella, you'd love chicken biryani. <laughs> but you don't. You detest it. Hmm? So it's not in the object, is it? It's in how we relate to the world. So then, it must be within us, isn't it? We use our five sense organs to cater to the body, mind and intellect to gain pleasure from the world. We see good things, gives us pleasure. We hear good music, gives us pleasure. Smell something nice, not chicken, it gives us pleasure. This is all we're doing, isn't it? Sages are saying there's no pleasure in the world. There's no pleasure in objects and beings. What they mean is that the pleasure we gain externally from the world is temporary. It's not permanent. It's impermanent. Fleeting. It only lasts for a short time. Do you still play with your doll that you were playing with four years when you were four? <laughs> it doesn't give you the same pleasure anymore, does it? So it's temporary. But at the time, you wouldn't let it go. You wouldn't go to bed without it. Because it gave you pleasure at that time, correct? So it's temporary, isn't it? Otherwise you'd still be with it now. So this great sage is saying, true happiness, which is permanent, can only be obtained from looking within. With identifying with the self. And discovering the self. And not from identifying with the body, mind and intellect. Any, pain, any pleasure, pain, joy you get from the body, mind, intellect is temporary. Arthur Schopenhauer, German philosopher, says, it is difficult to find happiness in oneself. It's difficult to find it in self, within one. But it is impossible to find it anywhere else. And this is what we're doing, isn't it? All our life, looking for pleasure and happiness. They're saying that we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking in the wrong place, they're saying, the sages. So how are we going to find it if we're looking in the wrong place? And the reason we can tell, we can, if we evaluate, we can understand it's temporary because if it was permanent, we wouldn't be wanting more. 
but we're still seeking. We keep seeking. You gain one thing and tomorrow it's another thing. You gain that thing, it's another thing. And this goes on all the way till the end. Because we're looking for something permanent. <coughs> we can't find it in the world. So this knowledge guides you to your inner self, the core of your personality. This is the home of permanent, absolute pleasure. It's like you want to catch your shadow. Can you ever catch your shadow? You run however far you run, you will never be able to catch a shadow. How can you catch a shadow? Does anyone know? How can you catch a shadow? Put your hand on your head. You've caught the shadow, haven't you? Yeah. So we're looking for it everywhere, but where it is. We're running around. This is what they're saying. Look inside and you'll find what you're looking for. So who wants permanent happiness? Yeah. Everyone. Permanent happiness. That is the crux, the goal of every human being. See, if you evaluate anybody and everybody in this world, if you ask them what they're doing, regardless of what they're doing, ultimately they're doing it for happiness. So everyone's searching for the same thing. No matter what they're doing, the ultimate goal is it brings me happiness. This is all we're doing. So from now on, what they're saying is, look within. Because it's not in the world. But only the people who are in this class know that. Everyone outside are still chasing. They don't know. They're still chasing that happiness in the wrong place. Okay, let's say you want happiness in the world. You don't believe that you have the capacity to get that permanent happiness in it. You don't have that capacity. Okay, fine. Next topic. Vedanta provides material prosperity. Okay? Until you do realize that happiness is not in the world, we'll teach you how to get happiness in the world. If you learn that, then maybe one day you might think, okay, let me see how it could give me permanent happiness. So the next topic is Vedanta provides material prosperity. So we'll, te we'll teach you how to get happiness in the world. Get whatever you desire, basically. Any questions on what I've just covered? Happiness being within and not in the world. Anyone disagree? Anyone has any clarifications? Yeah, okay. The world is an abundance of material wealth, but one can still remain poor. One needs to learn how to draw out this wealth from the world. Vedanta teaches one the technique. Gives out the formula for efficiency and productivity. One needs to practice these to gain prosperity in life. So it's now going to give you the technique of how to act in the world so you can gain material wealth, material happiness. So in order to be successful in the world, example being rich, being the best sportsman, best businessman, best homemaker, 
whatever anyone wants to be in the world, Vedanta teaches you how to achieve this. It teaches you these three disciplines which you learn and practice, and then you can achieve whatever you want in life. True. Whatever you want in life, you need to practice these three. The first one is concentration. What is concentration? We've covered this before. What is concentration? Anyone remember? Focusing on the task itself and not letting your mind go to the future or back in the past. Perfect. Stay in the present. Stay in the present. Perfect. Yeah? Concentration. The mind has a tendency to slip into the worries of the past and anxieties of the future. This dissipates energy. Anyone's mind that doesn't do that? Because that means you're concentrating. It's an exercise that you have to practice. Once you practice it, you can do it. So, when you're not on the present action, you're not focused on the present action, concentrating on what you've decided you want to do, because the mind goes back and forth, you lose energy. So you're not able to put in the 100% energy in what, you, what you're trying to do. It's not on the present action. Only the intellect can hold the mind on the present action. Therefore, concentration is the ability of the intellect to hold the mind in the present action. So Vedanta helps one to strengthen the intellect, allowing one to become more objective, hence efficient and productivity, productive in their pursuit. Does everyone understand concentration? It allows you to be able to keep the mind from stopping it from going in the past and in the future. So you're conserving the energy which you're then putting in the present action. Bella, do you understand? That's concentration. You can't hold it in the present. You're working on a project, and your mind's saying, if I did this last year, what would have happened? What's going to happen in the future? How much will I earn from this project? Will I get promoted if I do this properly? All those thoughts is stopping you from actually putting in the effort on the job at hand. Will I find a nice partner? You lose energy. Not putting 100% on the present action. So your action suffers. I'm tired. Not because you worked hard and your body's exhausted, but the mind is tired. Because of all this toing and throwing, the mind becomes tired. Your body can still act. You go to a gym, you can jog for one hour. Body can do a lot of things. So this concentration, discipline of concentration allows you to be more objective. This makes your action more efficient and hence more productive. The second discipline is consistency. What is consistency? So if you can practice these three disciplines, you're a different person. No matter what you decide to do, you'll be the best at it. But it's practicing, it's controlling that mind. What is consistency? Repeating, Enough. doing it on an ongoing basis. 
making the same effect. Okay, Ella, sorry? I said enough, like, you have to stop somewhere, like, if that is enough. Okay. Anybody else? Consistency. Consistency is the ability to keep your actions directed towards a set goal and ideal in life. The mind likes to slip into other attractions, therefore it loses its direction. And the action does not flow towards the goal. If you practice consistency, the action has more force, hence the action becomes more powerful. You need a strong intellect to channelize the action towards the goal. Maintaining a consistency of purpose allows one action, one's action to be more powerful, become more successful. That's, that's what it says in the book. So, consistency is when your actions flow towards your goal that you have set, the goal that your intellect has set, could be a long or short-term goal. So it's trying to get to that goal without toing and throwing. You want to be a millionaire. The goal is now set. I want to be a millionaire. So all your actions must flow towards that direction. You've set the goal. Whatever activity you do, you question, is this action taking me towards my goal? If yes, you do it. If not, you leave it. That's being consistent to all your goal. Only intellect can do this. Mind keeps getting distracted to other things. Your goal is to be a millionaire, but you say, okay, you know what, I'll give it a break for a few months. Let me go on holiday. I think I'll go and try doing this for a few months. You see, your mind is not set on that goal, and you're not channeling everything to that goal. So you have to change the goal otherwise. But you can't say, this is what I want to do, and then not go towards it. You have to put everything towards that. I need to be, bake three cakes for tomorrow. That is your goal. So all actions must be towards that goal. You have to be consistent. So it says, let's go out. I've got to bake these three cakes. <laughs> My goal is to bake these three cakes for tomorrow. I've got an order. You can't be distracted from it. Because you've set that goal. But the mind will say, you know what? I'll manage. Let me go out. A couple of hours. I'll come back and finish off. This is what the mind does. So practicing this discipline, your actions are more powerful, more successful. Wind blowing in one direction has power. Water flowing in one direction has power. Light focused in one direction has power. Similarly, we have to focus in that direction and not be distracted by anything. Then we can reach our goal. So you're saying there should be one goal at one time? Not necessarily. You can have many goals. You may have an ultimate goal. I want to be married and have four kids. That could be a goal. I want to be CEO in 20 years. That could be a goal. What is the way to get there? But then if you have two different goals, are you focusing your actions on two different things which causes the issue where you're not as productive and... It depends on the goals. You may have a goal for work. You may have a goal for family. These are different goals. So you have to 
for example, if you're with your family and you're focusing on that, then the work cannot come into it. That goal is in the office, 9 to 5.30. In the evening, the goal is with the family. What is my goal? I have got responsibilities to my kids. Yeah? So that is a different goal. So you'll have various long-term goals, various short-term goals, but it's managing those. So it's, it's, it's getting, for example, you may say, okay, I want to do a business, okay? Your goal is to set a business. You start a business. Then you start going to other businesses. Yeah. So your mind is distracted. You're not concentrating on that business that you've set up. So what it's saying is set a goal, think about it, set a goal, and then go for it. You may change that goal. That's a different thing. But be consistent. Just because of the example you used with Anita making the cakes, mm -hmm. she has that goal, which could just say be business. But that's short-term goal. This is what we're saying. So you may want to become a uh, starter business, but right now, someone's asked for three cakes, and they need it for tomorrow. She has said yes. I'll make them for you. That is now her goal, isn't it? If she believes she can make anger out. That's different. Yeah, that's no, nothing wrong with that. But her goal there is that she set it, she set her goal for, to, ba to bake those three cakes for tomorrow. They're picking up 12 o'clock. She can do anything she wants in between. If she can set, that goal is gonna be fulfilled, there's nothing wrong with it. Roger Federer plays tennis. He plays tennis one month. Next month, he plays golf. Following month, he plays football. Is he going to be the best tennis player? Why? Not focused, not consistent. He wants to be the best tennis player. He's got to play tennis all the time and not be distracted by any other sport. He may enjoy playing football, but his goal is that he wants to win Wimbledon. How is he going to win Wimbledon if he's playing football and golf? This is what I mean by consistency. He wants to be successful, this is what he has to do. Mind is like a monkey, can't stop for one second. Keeps jumping, one thing to another. And we're trying to stop that by these disciplines. The third discipline is cooperation. What's cooperation? Anyone? You need everybody to contribute towards your goal because you need their services as well as they need your services. So Absolutely. Cooperation. You need the spirit of cooperation of others to achieve the objective. To be able to work as a team. Therefore, to achieve success, you need the intellect to maintain the true spirit of cooperation with others. You have to understand you cannot achieve anything in life without others' help. Doesn't matter who you are. You cannot do anything on your own. You need cooperation and help of others. Family, friend, work colleagues, banks, government, country. Country doesn't allow you to, is a communist country, how are you gonna do business? This country allows you to do business, be entrepreneurial. Only then you can do it. So it's important that everyone works in the spirit of corporate endeavor. Working for the same goal in an unselfish way. You need to maintain that spirit. 
What is the opposite of this? Anyone? What is the opposite of cooperative endeavor? What is the opposite? I did it. I did it. I became a millionaire on my own. I built, I baked those cakes on my own. Maybe you did. What about your suppliers' help? What about your customers? Who, who took the wheat and turned it into flour so you can buy it from the shops? Who took the milk and turned it into butter? invite the shop that provided it all if Sainsbury didn't stock it you can't buy it if all these things weren't out there how could you bake the cake the people who provide the electricity to power the oven what part did you play then You mixed it, put it in the oven. I'm not trying to be flippant, no, yeah? yeah? But if you think about it, yeah. what part did you play in the whole scheme of baking that end result cake? You paid a small portion of it. But we forget. See, if you understand this, it creates humility in you. The opposite of that is ego. We don't want that. It goes against spirituality. You know who I am? Your ego takes you away from being a good human being, from being spiritual. So we want to be away from that. So therefore, cooperative endeavor allows you to be humble. Understand that? You're a statistician. Statistician? The if, we could, if the university didn't teach that, you couldn't be that today, could you? Your parents didn't send you to the university. They said, okay, 16, get married. Yeah? How are you going to be a mathematician? You put the effort in, absolutely. But the circumstances has to be correct for you to develop in that environment. So we shouldn't forget that. This is what it's saying. We need help from everybody. So if you maintain these three disciplines, it will lead you to productivity, success, and peace in whatever you pursue in life. Happiness, as you said, it will give you that. So this knowledge that can help, this Vedanta provides the knowledge that can help one be successful spiritually and materially. But people are ignorant of this fact and designates this knowledge for retirement and resignation, meaning they don't give it any value. They think it denies themselves the opportunity to become free from the worry and suffering in their lives that this knowledge can help alleviate. And they turn the world into heaven instead of, they turned, <coughs> this knowledge allows you to turn the world into heaven instead of hell. So these people believe that this knowledge, Vedanta, Gita, is for one when they retire, when they're at my mom's age. Become elderly, nothing better to do. Then they go to satsang. You know, there's a Gita class, I think I will go in time pass. After class you say, oh, what a good lecture. It's so true what he said. You recite it to your children and family, that's it until next class. 
no change within. This knowledge is like a manual on how to live life, how to achieve your goals in life, materially or spiritually. It teaches you how to be free of worry and anxiety, the stresses and strain of life. It gives you the strength and tools to deal with anything that comes in your way in life. So you need to learn this before you start your life, from when you're 16. It gives you a good foundation in life. And whatever happens, you're ready. When you're old and you study this, yeah, it'll give you some solace, but it doesn't actually help you if you've passed most of your life. So, Puja, Drew, this is fundamental to your life, understanding this. I'll give you a few examples. You get dumped by a girlfriend. No problem. I'll find someone better. I've studied Vedanta. <laughs> I'll find someone better. It's her loss. Problems at work. Your objective. Whatever happened, whatever happened, what happened? Was it my mistake? If so, let me improve. You lose your job. No issues. I'll find a better job. You become ill. I'll get better and back on the track. Back on track by applying the three C's. It gives you the tools to take on anything in life. The opposite to this, it devastates you. Agitations. You can't function. It can take ages for you to recover. If you don't have this understanding. Why did she leave me? How can I carry on with my life? It has no meaning. Two years pass by, you've been miserable. And you meet this nice girl in the gym who asks you out for a coffee, you forget everything in the past. That's what happens, isn't it? You may be in the best environment and be miserable. You spend so much time, years, in selecting the right partner. She's perfect. She's the one for me. He's the one for me. But you don't spend a few minutes to learn how to relate to him or her. How many years you court and then you get married, spend 20, 30,000 pounds on a marriage, wedding. How much time do you dedicate in learning how to relate? Let me understand this person. How can I relate to that person? Princess Diana, refined, best education, Beautiful, in and out. It's not what you meet in life, but how you meet it. Charles could not relate to her. In time, found someone else. If he had learned how to relate to her, he, there would have been no issues. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know how to relate, just go with this one thought from today's class. My partner is always right. <laughs> then see how you get on with your partner. They're still right. They're still right. But can you imagine if you think he's right and he thinks you're right? What bliss! <laughs> huh? You're saying you have to relate to them. 
Yeah. For example, Prince Charles didn't relate to Diana. But if he did, they would still be together. But how do you know it's... So then you could say anyone can relate to it. Absolutely. But you, that's what it's, anyone can relate. If you have this not understanding, this knowledge about life, how people function, people are function based on their vasanas, they can't help themselves. Yeah. Where's the problem? Say anyone could be together. Absolutely. But if you have different vasanas and everything, it's definitely going to be a clash. You can't always be be gallant. Why not? Because you've got different vasanas. His desires are different than mine. Well, Obviously, not? I want to fulfill mine, and he wants to fulfill his. Mm -hmm. But so you understand, he has different vasanas from mine. Then where's the problem? So we have to respect the vasanas as well? Of, of, of course. He's a different person from you. His desires are different. But what you're saying, then let's evaluate what you're saying then. You're saying that my vasanas are this and his vasanas are different. But you want him to, have, to, to follow your vasanas. Not necessarily. But then you have to respect his vasanas. I think what she's trying to get at, what if they come into direct conflict with each other? Okay, so if you have a conflict between your relationship, because vasanas are changing all the time, you see? He doesn't go to the gym, so you're okay, yeah? <laughs> vasanas keep changing, <laughs> yeah? She goes to <laughs> You have to worry. <laughs> so you have to understand, see, if you have this understanding of knowledge that People act based on their vasanas, and vasanas can change at any time, okay? And if he's following the same precept, then you can talk to each other and understand you're both following the same, you have both have the same understanding. So the conflict may be there, but it won't reach a stage where you can't understand each other. You will always, that conflict will, you will be able to sort that conflict out within 10 minutes or maybe a misunderstanding, half an hour. Not where you're now not talking to each other for days and you know, he's going his way, you're going your way. You're both living in a house, you know, not talking to each other. That is escalating. Yeah. But you're saying that if, this, if the two people are studying this subject, mm -hmm. but what if in, there are people out there that are not studying this subject? And then how do they get on then? They get on how they get on. I mean, your goal is to become a better human being yourself, to understand how you behave and how you relate to the world. Because we said you can make heaven out of the world or hell out of the world. Depends on you. So if you want happiness, as you said in the beginning, then you have to learn how to relate. My partner is like this. These are his habits. Can I live with them? I have to try and live with them. But then I have these habits. He's living with me. Yeah. This is compromise. This is understanding. But here we talk. But then oh, there may be certain things that your partner does that you cannot deal with. He may be going out, getting drunk every night, coming home, maybe womanizing. Now there's a point where you think, you know what, this isn't working out. But even for that, you need understanding to think, I need to move on. This partner is no longer the person I married. Okay, he's changed and he has no respect for me anymore, it's now time for me to move on.
because you're making your life hell. And, it's, and this, for that, even you need knowledge to understand that. Otherwise, you're stuck there. So what we're saying is you, that doesn't mean that you stay with that person just because you've got this knowledge. You may decide to leave that person, but for even that, you need to have this knowledge to be able to understand when to leave. Does everyone understand? Sorry, Ravi, you had a... Nothing you've answered. Okay. Yeah, normally it, it happens. Yeah. It's having the conviction, isn't it? Yeah. Within your own self, because you've got to live with the decisions that you've made. And if you feel that you've made that decision and there was no other option, then you're, you've got your own conviction that that decision that you have made for yourself although it may not have been easy, was the right one. Because sometimes you make decisions and you still have a tougher time. But if you're convinced that actually, relatively, it's an easier option, although the path is still difficult, I'm still in a better place than I was before, not just in an environment sense, but in the mindset. Because if your mindset is not clear, how are you going to focus on anything else that you're wanting to achieve if you're always constantly agitated? Unhappiness is mental agitations. Anything happens to you that agitates you mentally, you need to deal with. And in fact, if both of you are studying this subject, it makes it easier because you have something to fall back on. It's not just your likes and dislikes and his likes and dislikes clashing. It's okay, let's see what this says. And then both will understand whose mistakes, both will understand that, that both of you are in the wrong, okay? Both of you need to compromise. But you have a foundation to help you. You look in the Gita, one particular verse may answer all your questions whatever you're going through at the time. It's on manual how to live life. Covers everything. Any further questions? Okay, this is the last topic. Last topic of this chapter. Internal bliss within. It's covering basically what some, some of the stuff we've already talked about. People throughout the world have been looking for peace and happiness in the wrong place, as we said earlier. They look for it in the world. It is not there. The bliss one finds in the world is temporary. True bliss is only found on realizing the self within. All conflicts in the world throughout history are for only one pursuit, happiness and bliss. People are ignorant. One cannot find inner peace from outer pursuits and conquests. The ancient rishis of the Himalayas understood this fact and they propagated this knowledge of Vedanta. So as we've already covered, it's, say, it's saying we're looking for happiness in the wrong place, yeah? It's not outside, as we said before. No one has found happiness in the world that's lasting. It's all temporary, as we said. So we need to stop for a moment and think, what are we doing then? 
everything we are doing from the time we wake up is looking for happiness. But these sages have said it's not outside, it's inside. So why are we looking for it in the world? Everyone is doing this. They can't all be wrong. What's going on? We're all looking for happiness in the world. And the sages are saying it's not there. But everyone in the world is doing it. Why is that? Because we're living in the world. Living in the world. Okay. We're conditioned in that manner. Conditioned? Because there's no knowledge. Ignorance. Absolutely. Ignorance. We're going to prove that point. Anita, you you touched on, you said the right thing. Ignorance. The reason is, sense objects gives instant pleasure. Go to a restaurant, you eat something, gives you pleasure. The experience. Instant pleasure. Imagine if you ate something that was off. Huh? It's temporary, isn't it, that pleasure? Sense objects give instant pleasure. Immediate joy. But these are temporary. They don't last for long. You buy a new car, it brings happiness for a little while. Then it's gone, you need to replace it. You get tired of your partner who bought you so much happiness. I can't live without her. Or I can't live without him. Shemile, looking at your husband. I know. Now he or she brings you misery. You can't stand that person. What happened? If she brought you so much happiness, or he, when you went out together, you can't live without them. You go against your parents' advice and you get married. You run away, you elope. Then why suddenly, after a few years, you think, I can't stand this person. Temporary happiness. Okay, another example. Drew, you offer, you meet a little, little child. On one hand, you, you have a bar of chocolate, and the other hand, you have a 50 pound note. What will the child take? Chocolate. chocolate. Why? The child is attracted to the chocolate, the value, that's their happiness. Because instant pleasure. Instant pleasure. Can she eat the £50 note? Or he? Only sees the chocolate. The child is ignorant. Doesn't know he can buy 50 bars for that note. Instant pleasure. Puja, what would you pick? You're a mathematician. What would you pick? <laughs> 50 pound note. Why? Because you have the knowledge the child does not. The child is ignorant of what a 50 pound note is. How many chocolates 50 pounds can buy. So as adults, we choose candy, which is? Well, <laughs> What is our candy? In the world, what is our candy? Louder. And no, people can't hear you. You're telling me, I already know. Tell everyone else. Name, fame, power, position. Status. 
Well, this is our candy. Why? Because we're ignorant of who we really are, true nature. These brings us temporary happiness. These are the toys that make our joys due to our ignorance. No wise person falls for this. He seeks the self. He may have all the above, but understands the pettiness of it all. So these sages are saying, worldly pleasures bring you temporary happiness. Because of your ignorance, you believe that if I get that, I will be happy. If I marry that person, I will be happy forever. These are the chocolate bars you are picking, instead of this knowledge which brings you real permanent happiness. Not you guys, by the way. You guys are here, so. So knowledge of your true self, your true being, brings permanent happiness. Okay. So what is this permanent happiness we keep talking about? Let's examine this. Because I've mentioned, you know what happiness, you go to a restaurant, you, you go to a holiday, you know the happiness you're getting. But this permanent happiness, what is this permanent happiness? Can anyone explain what this permanent happiness is? Whatever the circumstances you're not affected by. Okay. That would be that happiness, isn't it? Well, so, it's a good experience of happiness. So that's, um, there's no agitations, you've reduced your agitations and then you're happy. But only until the next time something else happens. No, but if you're already in that state, mm -hmm. that will be your permanent, permanent okay. happiness. So that means only a self-realized person can become that mm. and not be agitated by anything. It's only a matter of time because before you're agitated again. So we're talking about permanent happiness where you're not affected by anything in the world whatsoever. The state of self-realization. Can anyone envisage what the happiness might be? Because we're talking about it. Permanent bliss, permanent happiness. This is all passing, fleeting, temporary. It would be impossible because we're not at that state. Epstein and Weinstein, they thought they can get happiness even though they had everything from somewhere else. Still searching. <laughs> so let's examine. I don't know either, by the way, yeah? But let's just examine it. You're looking for happiness in the world, yes? True? Okay, let's examine. These are all arbitrary, yeah? From my own understanding. You buy an ice cream, magnum, almond. You get pleasure, correct? Crunch. Let's say that pleasure is 10 units. Yeah, everyone can relate to that? you have a meal at Pizza Express. <laughs> Let's say that's 20 units of pleasure. You have a meal in a fancy restaurant, 100 pounds per head. Everyone's catering to you, serving you, beautiful food, plate. Let's say the pleasure content of that experience, let's say 30 units. It's higher than Pizza Express, isn't it? 30 units of pleasure. You go on holiday. Europe, say 50 units. Seashells, 75 units, you're going exotic. Business class, first class, okay, let's give it 100 units. <laughs> the pleasure content's going up of the same experience. You buy a new car, 150 units, we say, the pleasure it gives you. You're with me, yeah? You all seem to think, wow. 
I want those units. <laughs> you just met the boy or girl of your dreams, Puja. You fall in love. 200 units of pleasure. Some disagree. Okay, let's bump it up. 220 units of pleasure. <laughs> love gives me a lot more pleasure. Okay, 220. You buy a house together. 250 units. You get a child. 300 units of pleasure. You can put out the numbers you want here. This is just... Your daughter gets married. I don't know how much units of pleasure that gives. Okay, ultimate. You win the lottery, 10 million pounds. How many units shall we give that? <laughs> how, many how many units shall we give? 10 million. Were you winning 10 million pounds? But don't forget, you can only convert that into everything I've just covered. Having that money under your mattress is not going to give you any pleasure, is it? Only when you exchange that. Only when you exchange that. So the maximum pleasure you can get is <coughs> buying a house together, 250 units, yeah. even though you want 10 million pounds, correct? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah? Maximum you can get is go on first class holiday to wherever anywhere in the world and give you, I don't know, what did we say, 150 units of pleasure, correct? So that having that 10 million pounds doesn't. Okay, we'll give it 500 units of pleasure. Okay, you, you want to know. So if they say, if you seek the self, the pleasure you get in comparison is infinite, permanent, how much units shall we give that? You don't need anything after that. We can't put a value to it, can we? As, as Sittle said, we've not experienced that amount of pleasure. Is it beyond anything in the world? Let's give it 100,000 units. Can anyone relate to that much happiness? That much pleasure? It's actually immeasurable in worldly terms because nothing comes close to it. This is what the sages are saying. The happiness you're getting in the world compared to the bliss of finding the self within, discovering that you're God, doesn't compare. See, if you think about it, why doesn't it compare? Is because once you get to that state, there's nothing in the world that will give you happiness. You're not seeking anything in the world anymore. You're happy within. No matter where you are, what you are, who you are, who you're with, you're happy. Because you understand everything is Maya. Everything is an illusion. That's the state you reach. Would you then be interested in going a new car, a new house, changing your partner? Everything's an illusion. What difference does it make? <laughs> it's like waking up from a dream. <coughs> so you must study this knowledge, reflect upon it, follow the spiritual laws of life. Make it want your own. Live by its principles. One will eventually discover the true source of happiness found within. This is where this subject, the Vedas, takes you to that state. To prove this point, 
Jesus Christ, what did he own? Buddha had everything and he gave everything up. You'll find that most of these sages, self-realized souls, have nothing. Absolutely nothing. They go begging for food because they don't even want to be attached to, to that. And they're still so happy. They don't want anything. That's the state. It takes you. Even if they, what they have, they give up because they, they understand the futility of it, the impermanence of it. Any questions? So I've crammed a lot in today. So when next two weeks when I hear you can listen to it and who knows, by the time I come back, all of you might be really completely happy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you reached that state? I haven't. But you know, it's a slow, pro it's a slow process. You slowly start. Okay, right now, before you came to this class, you had never heard of the self. You'd never heard of the fact that you're God within. Just understanding that has given you a bit of happiness. You're less affected by what happens to you in the world. It's already converting into happiness by understanding the subject. You with me? So, and you've only uncovered maybe one percent of the self. Now you have understanding that you have the you know the self. Can you imagine if you're converting to hundred percent? What state you would be? This is what we're saying. So don't forget, don't, don't, don't try to get to that 100% state. Just slowly work, because everyone is different. Because your vasanas are different, as you said. Your starting point is different. It's all based on cause and effect, your past lives, where you are now. But the fact that you even come across this subject and you're interested, there are very, very few people interested in the subject. I'll tell you now. Very few people interested in the subject. Because it takes effort to develop yourself, it takes effort. <laughs>